0: Org. Enjoy.
1: Hi, my name is Ai Tran, and I'm with the Department of East Asian Languages and Cultures at Stanford University. Today, I'm here with Professor Daphne Zur. Hi. Hi, Professor Zur. Could you tell me a little bit about uh, yourself and your research?
0: Sure. Um, So, uh, I am a professor of uh, Korean literature and culture here at Stanford. Uh, I work, um, or I teach classes on literature and film and popular culture. But my uh, my the the field that I'm most comfortable, most compelled by is the field of literature. Uh, and I am here to talk about my recently published book, uh, uh, Figuring Korean Futures: Children's Literature in Modern Korea.
1: Great. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about this book. Uh, what was the intellectual journey um, that you took to get to this topic? And uh, how did you decide to write about literature for children in Korea?
0: Yeah, so um, because this is a, an interview, you can't see my face, but I'm actually not a, 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 a heritage speaker or a native Korean. Um, and so I often get the question of you know why I got uh, interested in Korea in the first place, uh, which is maybe subject for a different um, uh, interview. But uh, the story of my kind of intellectual journey on this particular topic is that I was actually toying with different interests that I had uh, when I was in grad school at the University of British Columbia in uh, Vancouver in Canada. Uh, and I uh, was kind of at a crossroads. I was thinking maybe about travel literature. Um, it was... I was, I think, um, kind of trying to fit different parts of myself into you know, or, or doing some kind of a personal journey as well. Um, but I had my second son when I was still in grad school, and, and so I was reading to him. I was uh, reading uh, picture books, um, uh, and particularly books that my parents had saved from when I was uh, really young. And, uh, and I was sort of rediscovering my own childhood and my own love of reading through reading to my. My, my children. And um, and it just got me really kind of interested and curious. Korea was a place that I had been uh, already sort of deeply involved with for uh, 15 years at that point. Um, I uh, spoke some Korean and uh, uh, married uh, to a Korean and half of my family's in Korea now. Uh, my in-law's family and uh, and so uh, I was really curious about what Koreans read as children because I hadn't had that experience. And I started to ask, uh ask my husband, I asked people around me, you know, what were the formative texts that you read as children? And the answers were really kind of all over the place. I got a lot of answers like... Um, Oh, we read biographies of exemplary scientists, and oh. you know, yeah, very kind of uh, kind of the uh, luminaries of uh, of the West, and and uh, or uh, diehard Korean nationalists. Uh, a lot of people I asked about what they read as children answered that they read a lot of folk tales and fairy tales that they had read Aesop's uh, tales and and Anderson and um, so these were kind of answers that I I guess I really wasn't expecting, and I started to dig and find out uh what um child's childhood texts were available and what what came before that so I kept asking what were before these texts what came before the biographies uh, and there really was very little out there uh, to uh, work with but uh, I happened to um you know I was asking around in Korea uh, contacted all the um, the contacts that I had uh in you know among the uh, different Uh, faculty in in universities in Korea, and I came upon kind of the uh, formative uh, or kind of one of the pioneer uh, scholars on uh, children's literature in Korea, and he said, well, actually, we have these incredibly rich children's magazines that go back to the very early period of of the, the colonial rule, the Japanese colonial rule. And uh, and you should have a look at them. And I said, well, that's great. How do I get my hands on them? He said, well, actually, they're scattered. They're all over the country. There's no, um, there's no one place. Uh, most of these haven't ever even been um, been published. Uh, but I have my own personal collection, and I'm going to photocopy all of it for you and send it to you. So it was really just a lot of. Uh, good luck that I was able to kind of create this connection um, with this uh, professor and, and, ha- and even as a graduate student, he agreed to share all of his primary sources with me. And uh, so one day uh, when, you know, in graduate student housing in Vancouver, I got a, a shipment of three big boxes of, um, uh, of paper. Uh, uh, some loose, some uh, bound, but it was pretty much a kind of very comprehensive uh, collection of a variety of different magazines that were published in in colonial Korea and some also in in, uh, post-war, post-division South Korea. And that was my first real sort of glimpse into what Korean children with certain access, uh, of course, more elite children, of course, children uh, more urban, uh, that would have had kind of the the education to be able to even to read them what kind of children's culture they would have been exposed to. And uh, oh, I mean, I just had to write about it.
1: Wow, that is so fascinating. And I'm sure you had a lot of fun reading them to your uh, child as well um so was there anything surprising or like what was the most surprising thing that you've learned um, in your research
0: so and everything was new uh and uh, i mean, think the hardest part um i think those of us who work on magazines uh is that they're they're so diverse they're so rich it's um uh i mean of course for all of us the work is really kind of connecting the dots um i think for me uh, one keyword that emerged pretty uh, early on in my research was this uh, uh, term 동심, which I talk about a lot in my book, uh, the child heart. And that was a term that uh, came uh, or that began circulating pretty early on in Korea. It was uh, a buzzword in Japan as well. And I think what was really interesting for me about that term is, uh, well, just the fact the term itself that uh, Korean intellectuals and writers and poets were really sort of grappling with this idea that there was a child heart, uh, they kind of uh, which was reified, in other words. Uh, they both kind of conceptualized it but then also wrote for it this idea that the child has a heart that is, that there is a child heart that it's somehow qualitatively or sort of affectively, intellectually very different from adults and therefore it demanded its own type of writing Uh, and the fact that this concept uh, kept popping up and was so persistent and pervasive and really I was able to kind of see it from the very beginning of the emergence of literature for children all the way into post-war, post-division, North and South Korea, uh, was really, I think, maybe one of the most um, surprising things for me. And so the task became to understand what were the stakes in really kind of holding on to this concept? Why did it become so important? Why did... Uh, writers and educators and poets really subscribe to it. What did it afford them in terms of um, you know literary practice or uh, kind of even sort of discursively like what did that concept uh, allow in terms of their creative uh, liberties? and um, why was it something that they're so invested even until today in writing for? And so I think this um, uh, this concept really, I mean, the, the the challenge was to not let it limit me. In other words, once I s- sort of saw it uh, emerging both in the discourse and through the discourse in the different works, I was worried that it was going to limit what I was able to see. And so uh, that was uh, kind of um, one of the challenges. And I think what I tried to do... To a certain extent, and maybe that's something that I, I'm still working out. Is trying to see where not just how this reified concept dictated a lot of the writing for children. You know, what children, what kind of content do they need to read? Um, what uh, what sort of language did it demand? But also to see where writers broke away from that and pushed against it. And even though they um, uh, they were working with this concept very consciously. Uh, they consciously or unconsciously also kind of uh, pushed against it, went away from it. And so I think ultimately what was really interesting, as is most things, I think, um, when, you, when you think about literature for children, was how malleable the concept was and how it really provided a platform for writers with um, different political convictions, uh, different creative ideas to really take it in uh, in the directions that they uh, were interested in. So I would say that's probably the most uh, surprising thing that uh, I came up against uh, my research. And I guess maybe the second thing I'll follow up on that is what I sort of ended my book with, which was science fiction uh, in uh, North Korea. And actually, that's sort of where I started. I then took this whole detour and then came back to it. And uh, uh, so I was trying to reconcile um, the relationship between uh, child and nature, which was so central to this idea of the child heart. Um, and uh, and so, what I sort of the, the large arc that I was trying to uh, paint in my book is to show how this child heart. In its early in the early period of the first emergence of children's uh, literature in Korea has this very close um, really intricately connected relationship between child and nature and how the post-war uh, era with the kind of emergence of science uh, you see this break between child and nature and that brings us into this sort of uh, very rich interesting era of science fiction uh, and that kind of allowed me to really see the production of children's literature uh, over a period of about uh, 40, 50 years in a kind of uh, a new way.
1: Yeah, that was really fascinating, and I got a chance to read uh, a couple of your chapters. Uh, really illuminating and um, I had never thought about it that way, so it was really fun. Um, And so from the book, um, when you read it, it's really clear that you worked with materials other than literary texts. You also are really attentive to visual culture, and I was just wondering how did the extra textual aspects of your materials inform the way you thought about your own work?
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, someone, uh, you know, when, when we're sort of trained in, in literary analysis and we're trying to be sensitive to, to genre and to voice and, uh, and, and all different kinds of aspects of, of language, uh, when, you, when you work with literature for children, uh, you realize, I mean, part of the real kind of the perk of working on children's literature is the visual uh, aspect of, of of the literature. Uh, and so uh, having images, having illustrations uh, as a kind of integral part of these texts really made me uh, think about how to talk not just about um, how the texts are, uh, you know, how, how language and genre are working together, but also wh- how kind of how to account for uh, for images and, and what do, what story do the images tell that maybe uh, works with the text or works against the text, and so um, I started to really it helped me theorize what um, not just what kind of language. Korean writers and poets were trying to invent for children for the first time, uh, but also how literally they were sort of picturing the world uh, in in their illustrations and to try and be attentive to questions of um, uh, realism and uh, brush strokes, um, thickness or thinness of lines, uh, details, uh, facial features, uh, you know, the way that pictures were composed um, you know, on the page, you know where uh, angles and and uh, you know how certain elements are put, where they're put on the page. So, uh, so I I tried as much as I could to really uh, incorporate those uh, to the best um, to the best of my ability and to show how in each period, each magazine, uh, and according to each sort of a political uh, trend. Uh, the visuals also tell sometimes a complementary picture and sometimes a bit of a, um, you know, a bit of a challenging uh, picture that really make, it, make the text into such rich kind of polyphonic text. So you have all these different voices, uh, some heard more clearly and some less. But yeah, the illustrations are really uh, so critical to those of us who work on, uh, on literature uh, for children.
1: Yeah, and your your research is about South and North Korean literature for children. Um, so, how would you hope that your research will offer to scholars outside of your field?
0: Yeah, so um, you know, I I, uh, I tried as much as possible when I was working on uh, literature for Korea to consider. Uh, sort of these larger global questions uh, of uh, trends, of um, uh, literary ideas, uh, of contemporaneous ideas. So looking at Korea, uh, you have to look at Japan to a certain extent, to uh, uh, kind of colonial uh, Taiwan. Um, Uh, and even to sort of 1920s, 30s China, uh, but also looking at kind of uh, Victorian fiction uh, and looking to see how sort of global trends and global ideas about childhood uh, and children's culture travels uh, across the globe, and so I'm hoping that the insights that I was able to reveal in my work will be of interest to other scholars who work on uh, colonial uh, colonial literature, uh, who work on um, this really fascinating period of emergence of n- child and nation and language, which are so um, which which I think one of the things that makes Korean literature children's literature so fascinating is because um, the Korean language is being reformed uh, the Korean nation is undergoing so much turmoil because it's colonized then it's divided uh, then you have separate regimes uh, and so this question of child and nation and language are implicated in such a close way and so I'm hoping that the kinds of materials that I have uncovered and the sort of the, the theoretical frames that I, um, I conceptualize and also that I rely on will be of use to to scholars who are working on similar periods, on on um, literatures from from uh, uh, from different places, uh, not just on Korea uh, around the same time, but uh, for scholars uh, all over. And I have to say, one of the things that I'm I'm sort of revisiting these days uh, also is uh, um, because of my my background, my heritage as a as a Hebrew language speaker and as a I'm an Israeli citizen as well is uh, looking uh, comparatively at Um, At Israel and Israeli or Hebrew literature I should say and Korean literature and there's so many parallels and so many interesting aspects and so many even shared um, visual language uh, and visual culture that uh, I think when you work on something like childhood uh, the the global aspects of it are just uh, endlessly fascinating so I'm hoping that the work that I do will be of interest to uh, scholars in the same way.
1: Yeah, um, that that's a great first book that you have, and so I really hate to ask this question, but what are you working on these days?
0: <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think um, I mean uh, it's interesting. I uh, uh, I have a second uh, book project right now that is um, uh, is huge. Uh, it's very sprawling and broad and ambitious. Uh, and it was sort of what was co- what really consumed me uh, the, the first little while after the book because I, I really wanted to put, to put the book aside and not think about it ever again. But um, <laughs> but so this second project. Is a project on uh, Cold War. Uh, right now, it's really Cold War North Korea. I, uh, because of the the my interest in science fiction, that kind of shows up at the very end of the book. Mm-hmm. I was interested in learning more about science fiction, but also just in general about um, about science and popular science. You know, being at Stanford, uh, where uh, we're so immersed in the kind of the science and the the technology um, culture here. Uh, It's really, I think, uh, it feels like a very uh, immediate concern is to figure out how science um, uh, and uh, and literature, science and the humanities, what kind of relationship they have uh, historically as well. And so it seemed like it would be a perfect opportunity to look at North Korea uh, in its early emergent years and to um, try and see how... It's kind of politics and ideology and society was being formed on the ground under this banner of science uh, and not being a scientist uh, at all uh, I became more and more interested in the discursive side of it and so uh, recently had an amazing trip to Moscow collected a lot of North Korean materials there and I'm slowly working my way through them but I'm actually taking um, a little bit of a break from that book because it's so unruly uh, and I've gone back to some of the materials for my first book because I became, speaking of or outer kind of textual materials, I started thinking more and more about the poetry and particularly the songs that were sung by Koreans in the 1920s as sort of like seen as the golden era of children's uh, literature in Korea and poetry in particular, and it's just an era where you have in the, the, the children's magazines such beautiful um, poetry coming from some of the brightest, uh, most talented writers. But there was also, they were composed and they, they were set to music. And so um, I have a, a bit of a music background and I kind of found myself wanting to uh, play uh, their scores. To They're all set to scores, So to play the songs, sing them, and kind of think a little bit more about the relationship between uh, between language and music, and uh, and how uh, really sort of this um, uh, kind of emotionally how children were sort of structured. Maybe going back to this idea of the child heart is to try to understand the the um, how kind of what was the sort of the the emotional. Uh, uh, world of the child supposed to be uh, in, in this period and so I think that poetry and music are going to be uh, bringing me back to that so I'm, I'm working more on on that as well, I've got the science project and the last project I'm working on right now uh, which I think will will. Um, Bear fruit. I hope uh, very, very soon is actually something that's much more uh, somehow contained. Um, and it's uh, I'm, I'm just writing an article right now on um, the translation of, in fact, Anne Frank's diary into uh, in North Korea. in The early 2000s. It was a project that um, I came across Anne Frank's uh, diary. Uh, when I was uh, looking for science fiction, and I found it kind of by accident, and then put it in a drawer for about 10 years, And recently had a a very emotional trip um, to uh, Amsterdam and visited Anne Frank's house and uh, visited with uh, the museum director and had a chance to really understand a lot more what this incredible diary is. And it got me uh, asking, I think, much more productive questions about why it was translated, how it was translated, and uh, just thinking more broadly about uh, self-writing and uh, kind of this relationship between... Uh, an individual, their kind of your our, our inner life, external, uh, our our external sort of experiences, objective reality, our subjective experiences, and how language plays into all of it. So, uh, that's what I'm working on at the moment.
1: Oh my gosh, that's so exciting! You already have a second and third, and maybe fourth book coming out. I don't know about um, that. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing all of your research and what you're passionate about. Um, it's been a really great experience listening to you. Um, do you have anything um, that you'd like to share with us before we close out?
0: Uh, no, I hope that um, I hope that the the book. Uh, is uh, is 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 interesting and is helpful. Uh, uh, maybe one last thing I can say is that I'm very attached to the cover. Uh, the cover is by just the most beautiful. I think uh, one of the most beautiful uh, illustrators uh, that we have from uh, colonial Korea. His name was Chang uh, Hyunung. He, as many. Uh, intellectuals and elite, um, and writers and artists in colonial Korea went to North Korea around the time of division, uh, hoping for uh, to be able to live out his ideals um, and his sort of artistic vision. Uh, and unlike many elite that. Did what he did, crossed, uh, went over from the south into the north uh, th- that were later purged. He actually lived quite a long life in North Korea uh, as an artist, as an illustrator for children, uh, has beautiful works. Uh, and uh, when I came across a recent catalog of images uh, coming from North Korea, I just absolutely fell in love with that uh, that cover and uh, reached out to um, contacts I have in South Korea, and they were able to connect me with his... Family in South Korea uh, that had grown up without a father since uh, since the mid mid 40s, uh, and they gave me permission to use uh, that illustration. So uh, I think it's very poignant. It's beautiful, uh, somewhat nostalgic, uh, but it speaks to so much of the the power of um, of literature for children to make these very uh, visceral connections between uh, past and and future. So, I hope you enjoy the cover.
1: Yeah. Great. Thank you so much,
0: Daphna. Thank you, Ai. Right. <laughs> Bye.
1: Thank you for listening to Shusai Podcasts. You can find more materials and features from the Society for the History of Children and Youth online, shcy.org.